0: The date is Friday, May 8th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. On today's episode, Alex invites us into the tangled web that connects him and Spider-Man, breaking down the creation of the character and what he symbolizes in society. Quick trigger warning, there's a lot of talk of grief in this episode, so if that's something you're sensitive to, this might be the episode to skip. Enjoy! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to another episode of entertain this entertain this i'm alex i'm michael and i'm nick and nick can't stop laughing when we start recording no he really
1: can't (laughs) i'm composed now we're good
0: yeah no you made it you you're clicked into action it only (laughs) took
1: about 10 15 minutes shut up (laughs)
0: exposure (sighs) i've been exposed Uh. so a couple of weeks ago after recording an episode of the podcast uh we were doing one of our classic cool-down sessions, as you guys might remember. Um, kind of after every podcast, we sit after we're done recording and just discuss different things, random things. Sometimes we just joke around, have conversations. We are friends outside of the podcast. Um, but oftentimes we talk about things that we want to do with the podcast in the future, or like what we'll talk about next week, or what one of us will do uh, our next quick this on, and things like that. Um and it was during one of these cooldown sessions that Michael, you asked me uh, to go over something.
1: Yeah, I, I remember this now.
0: You're one of my best friends, and mm-hmm. you know a lot about me. So you lightly pushed this subject on me. Um, but I want to start off without even saying what the subject is by just asking you guys uh, if you had to name your favorite superhero, who would it be?
2: Oh, that's a mm. tough one. I probably have to say Iron Man.
1: Why? Have... Ooh, I'll let you answer that first. Yeah, go okay. ahead and answer why. I'm The curious. why?
2: <clears throat> I don't know. I just think he's a su- cool superhero, and he's not really even a superhero. He does it all without powers. He does it with his suit, and uh, I, I kind of like his level of snarkiness too, and that he brings to the brings to the table with all the superheroes. Cause he's like, "I'm Tony Stark. I do whatever the fuck I want," you know. So yeah. that's why I like him. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: That clocks for you. That definitely mm-hmm. clocks for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd have to say for mine, uh, Thor. That Malone, really hits because, for you, too. Yeah, he's a beautiful space angel. How can you not love that? He's a
0: very strong boy who has a code that he stands by. and
1: Yeah, and then just like me, he later on gets fat and depressed, <laughs> and it all works out.
0: See, when, when you ask people questions like, What's your favorite superhero? Oftentimes you find they lean more towards characters that they find themselves in. Hmm. And it's interesting uh, because none of this was scripted. I didn't ask you guys this question before the podcast. This is your natural answers in the moment. But it's interesting that knowing you guys, you pick superheroes that are a lot like you.
1: Yeah, I could see that. Maybe I would hope so. <laughs>
2: you can only hope.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, Michael, you asked me, in, in your words, you said, what's up with your whole Spider-Man thing?
1: Yeah, that sounds like how I would say that.
0: And anyone, knows me, to that. Yeah, anyone who knows me can attest that I do have a Spider-Man thing. Mm-hmm. Um, sparing our audience and my pride the nerdy details, I'll keep it to this. I have a collection of comics and merchandise. I own every movie, even the bad ones, and I've seen them all in theaters as well. I know a lot about Spider-Man, and I don't hide that. So much so that I think you guys will remember um, a group of my friends threw me a Spider-Man birthday party. I turned 22, and I loved it. <laughs> it was it.
1: amazing. It was great.
0: <laughs> Including the kitty decorations and balloons and even one of those cakes with the like fancy Spider-Man on top. It was actually really sweet. I loved it a lot. Uh, So when Michael suggested that I talk about my whole Spider-Man thing, I questioned it first, if there would be enough to talk about. There was, of course, the many new movies that had come out. I could easily discuss why Tom Holland makes a great Spider-Man. I could discuss theories of the future of Spider-Man in the MCU, the whole struggle between Sony and Disney to reach an agreement. Um, But through all of these plans, I avoided the question that Michael suggested I answer, which was, why do I connect with Spider-Man? What's my whole Spider-Man thing? Hmm. I mean, what more was there than I'm a nerd, so is Peter? So I relate to him on that level. And that's kind of all it is. But the more I thought about it, the deeper I dove, I realized there was more behind the metaphorical mask that I put on. So, boys, if you wouldn't mind, please entertain this
2: he said it whoa i did it
0: that was for you wow. nick oh thank you I did you did just it just for you what i want a to entertain quality it. intro what a yeah. quality
1: intro thank you so much could you say that this is like your spider-man origin story
0: um yeah i can you, definitely you actually say
1: like that. spiders before we
2: get started
0: i i protect every spider i see but it's more because of the superhero i kill gotcha him. that's very Tony Stark again. <laughs> oh, and also, also
1: to set the mood, uh, Alex is wearing a wonderful Spider-Man hoodie for this episode. It's pretty cool. Grandma quick. gave this to me for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Everyone knows I have a Spider-Man thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's common knowledge. I do think that it's said that like every universe has a Spider-Man. I think that our universe is the universe without superpowers, and that I was supposed to be the Spider-Man. If I'm being <laughs> honest with you. But everyone will say that.
2: How could you be so <laughs> bored?
0: Wow. <laughs> it's just the way I think.
2: Hmm. It's
0: just what I think. And, and I'll get to why. But this story, as I was saying, takes place in two very different worlds. Um, like most Spider-Man adventures, these worlds collide. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I think to fully study a character, we must first know their creator. So what do you guys know about Stan Lee?
2: Ooh.
1: I know Not that his whole full lot. name... <laughs> I know that his full name is somehow a first name broken up by syllable.
0: Yes. Yeah. That is true. Is there Uh, anything else you guys know about him? I know
1: that he and another guy who doesn't get a lot of credit basically created the entirety of the Marvel Universe.
0: And we'll get more into him later. There's another name that's really important that we'll also get into later that you might be referring to. His name is Steve Ditko. Sure. Sure. Either sound familiar to you guys? <laughs> nope. All right, nope. we'll get into it. No worries. <laughs> Honestly, we could make an entire episode on Stanley, I I think. But I'm just going to kind of keep it to the basics and the stuff that I feel is important to the narrative that I'm forming in front of you. So okay. Stanley was born on December 28th, 1922 in Manhattan, New York.
2: Whoa! The Big Interesting. Apple. Interesting. Yeah.
0: As a child growing up around the Great Depression, when so many people were in turmoil, Lee turned to entertainment, much as we all are now. Among his many loves were comics, and more importantly, writing stories, so much so that at the age of 19, he was named Editor-in-Chief at Timely Comics. Wow. 19 years what? old, he's already Editor-in-Chief at a local comic publication.
1: <laughs> what, what, what is Timely Comics, if you know? Like, what is, do they do anything big, or...?
0: They, at the time, were running a lot of stories that ran around war. Uh, Cowboys was big back then. Um, Romances. Superheroes, at the time, it was basically, like, Superman and maybe a little Batman, but we're talking, like, early, early, like, 1930s, 40s. Okay, So, so, so it was, like, things more grounded in reality. Things, yes. They're more stories about people who are just normal people or, like, did extraordinary things, but still were just normal. Okay. Now, cool. the superheroes did exist. Um, they existed in this frame of being perfect human beings. They wanted nothing but justice. They only cared about doing right by the people, and that's all that they did. They went out, they rescued people, and that was being a superhero, Yeah. which I think is something to keep in mind as we move forward. So around that time, that's kind of where he was. Uh, He was just named editor-in-chief at Timely Comics, and he stated in an interview that his writing was inspired by books and movies, particularly those with Errol Flynn playing heroic roles. Uh, He was a famous actor back in the day. Okay, He did a bunch of war films and things like that where he would be these heroic people, um, where he was just the man who took care of the problems. And I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that maybe he romanticized heroic deeds um and that eventually is what led lee to join the united states army in 1942 leaving behind his cushy desk job Hmm. lee served on the training films division writing manuals training films slogans and occasionally cartooning so that's kind of where he got his his more professional start as a comic book writer gotcha
2: yeah, and during this time, this was the time of World War II. So I'm kind of yes. glad to hear that he wasn't on the front lines so or we might have lost him, you know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, people who wrote along with him, there were a bunch of famous names, but one that kind of stuck out, um, who also worked in this training films division, was a man who would soon come to be known as Dr. Seuss. Oh. Uh oh. Served no next way. to Stan Lee. They both wow. came back. Yep. And That's made crazy. things of themselves. Yeah. Um, So after returning home from war in the mid-1950s, Lee returned to writing for Timely Comics, now known as Atlas Comics. Does that ring a bell to you guys?
1: Nope. More of a bell than the
0: first one did.
1: Sure. I still
0: can't remember what it is, though. So this is where he wrote comics based around horror and suspense. And more importantly, this is where he was introduced to a very important man named Steve Ditko. He was a cartoonist at the time, drawing mostly in horror drawing these grotesque images that were meant to give you nightmares in the night. Back when there wasn't horror films to go watch, these comic books were the closest thing that you had. Or
2: the subreddit, I'm sorry, John.
0: Oh, my God.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that's what comes to mind when you say that.
0: Now, on a completely separate note, far into the future, in a different, much smaller metropolis, a young couple was just meeting as well. The year was 1992, and romance was in the air the night that my father and mother went out to go dancing. After some convincing, he picked her up from her parents, and they went under the bridge. He shined his headlights, creating a spotlight, and he blasted a slow song from his radio, took her hands, and they danced. A couple years later, they had a daughter and a son on the way, and they rushed to the hospital and left my older sister with our grandparents. That night was in 1997, and I was born. My parents were very young at the time. I think my father was 22, my mother was 20, They still had so much life to live, and now they had two kids. It can be hard to make ends meet in a situation like that, so my parents resorted to working their weeks away and hoping to claim their youth on the weekends. Lucky for them, my mother's parents were more than happy to take on babysitting duties every weekend. These weekends contain some of my most prominent memories I have from my childhood, and more so memories of my all-time best friend, my grandfather. Now back in the 1950s, comics books saw a resurgence in popularity of superheroes. After DC comic editor Julius Schwartz revived the archetype with an updated version of The Flash. Uh, This put Lee in the hot seat. He was assigned by publisher Martin Goodman to come up with a new superhero team. Lee's wife kindly suggested he experiment with stories he preferred, since at the time he was planning on throwing in the towel on comic book writing altogether.
2: Hmm. Quite didn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good thing that he didn't. (laughs) Acting on this advice, Lee started giving his superhero characters flaws and making them actual people. He started to introduce complex, uh, naturalistic characters that could have like bad tempers and fits of melancholy and vanity. Mm. Uh, it was this renaissance of superhero character writing that brought us new characters and household names, like the Fantastic Four, a family of superheroes that solidified Lee's new publishing company under the name of Marvel Comics.
2: Oh, that's the one that sounds familiar. There you there go. There
0: it is. <laughs> we Finally we made it around to where things were familiar. <laughs> Among these new characters, you guessed it, he came up with Spider-Man. There's our boy. That boy. That boy. So, where we are so far is that after jumping from publication to publication, uh, Stan Lee is finally finding his footing once once he takes his ideas from superheroes and his ideas from the comics that he's been writing his whole life and he combines them. And this was the first time that the superhero character broke the mold. So this is like the first time that we're seeing characters, kind of like Tony Stark, like you had said, characters that have flaws like being narcissistic, egomaniacs. Tony Stark, at one point during the comics, battled with an alcohol addiction. Like, he was a very heavy alcoholic, and he had to overcome that character arc over, like, several different comics. He held true to that. I mean, it took several series of comics for him to eventually stop being an alcoholic. (laughs) Thor has had, as you said, fits of depression, you know? Mm -hmm. Times that he's, like, fallen in on himself and not found himself good enough, not to mention he has a constant power struggle with his brother, And a lack of respect from his father. Spider-Man is, of course, uh, not immune to things like this. If anything, he's the poster boy for it. But we'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself again.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So, so was this like some of the first comics to really introduce like flawed characters as the heroes? Like, did they start off that way, or did they eventually become that? Hmm, No. Good question.
0: The superhero. The clean cut superhero of the 1930s and 40s up into the 1950s were these perfect icons, these perfect images to show kids like this is what a good person is. They don't ask for anything in return. They just go save the old lady from the burning building. They have secret identities because they don't want any thanks for what they've done. Um, The only reason that they're doing this stuff is because it's good and that's the way you're supposed to be. There was no story about their secret identity or anything like that. The only thing that really took on the role of the secret identity plot line was people maybe finding out who they were, but even then, most cases, they were just clean-washed plot lines that eventually led back around to the person not finding out who they were. But Hmm. Lee introduced the first instance of not only caring about the crime that was being fought, but caring about the problems at home. Hmm. So, like, you'd see gotcha. comics where the Fantastic Four would have fights with each other. Like, somebody would do something that annoyed another one, and it would affect them while they were fighting crime. And that's kind of the thing that Lee wanted to experiment with, is that these superheroes aren't these pristine, perfect people. They're people like you and me. Mm. They are people who deal with problems and have things thrown at them, and they have to deal with that. And he was the first to do it.
1: Not hmm. not to kind of like send this in a different direction, but it's really, it's really interesting how like around the same time you also had uh, like Marvel comics coming out and uh, them showing this like vulnerability to their heroes where you have uh, like DC, DC still is kind of sticking to the whole uh, like uh, good boy hero uh, stories but they were taking that same concept and applying it to their villains, where it's like these villains, like they're not just evildoers; they're evildoers who are doing it for a reason. You're saying Marvel did that? I was DC. It seems like did a lot with that at the time, um, yeah. kind of bouncing off of the from from as far as my knowledge is, uh, taking a lot of the ideas that Marvel was putting in regards to their heroes, and because they had these heroes. That had been like in publication for a quite a while. Yeah. Um that instead they opted to uh make their villains the like emotional side. So like it like it I all it takes is like a bad day uh yeah. for a villain to be a villain, which I think I'm just taking that I'm stealing that from the Dark Knight.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's something that they explore more into in the future in the seventies and eighties of comics. And mm-hmm. I think Marvel also took on making these um, villains people, like real people. Uh, It's said that, and this isn't something that I wrote down, but something that I did want to mention, there's a perfect formula for a Spider-Man story. And it involves an equal amount of the villain and Spider-Man fighting each other as it does Peter Parker and the identity of the villain knowing each other.
2: Ooh the
0: more connected that they are, the better the story is, because that connection is what brings so much pain um, hmm. at the end gotcha. of the day. And if you think back on the Raimi films, most villains are people who were involved in Peter Parker's life. If you think back on the um, MCU films, most of the villains are people who were somehow involved in Peter Parker's life without giving away too many spoilers. Even the PS4 video game, the villain is someone who's really involved in Peter Parker's life, and that's what—that's the choice that the writers give to the character. Mm. What do you I've, do?
1: I've, I haven't played that game, but is the villain Mary Jane? <laughs> no. no, unfortunately, no. she's oh, never yeah. taken okay. the villain seat.
0: <laughs> uh, it would be interesting to see though.
2: It's Doctor Octopus. Spoiler alert! Sorry, I—I oh. I have played those games. I well, the Spider-Man PS4 game I did play, obviously. Yeah. And um, I think I saw Spider-Man One and Two of the the Raimi trilogy. Yeah. Uh, but that's really where my involvement of Spider-Man ends. Um, so forgive me for being underprepared.
1: <laughs> no, I'm 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 with you, Alex, where, like, I've seen, I believe, every movie. I think every movie. Uh, but my, like, game experience ends at Spider-Man 2 for the GameCube. <laughs> oh, yeah?
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny.
1: Got
2: to get that Spider-Man for PS4. It's a great we're game.
0: Getting, we're getting far, far ahead of ourselves here. Um, because I want to talk about Spider-Man's first appearance, if you guys oh, don't mind. And that's PS4. kind of as... That's as far as I want to go, in no, fact.
1: Alex, this is, this is your segment, but I'm going to have to lay down the law. Go you ahead. can't talk about what you want to talk about.
0: That's fair. <laughs> I think that that's completely fair. Don't you
2: know how this podcast works? Yeah, it's like <laughs> we've only done
1: it 10 times or so.
0: Right. <laughs> uh, I will say... Just as a disclaimer, there's a lot of Spider-Man stories to talk about. He's been swinging through the New York City skyline since 1962, um, and he hasn't stopped at any point. There's never been a a dip in Spider-Man stories. So to kind of challenge myself as an extreme webhead, as the Spider-Man fans call themselves, (laughs) uh, I'm going to keep to only talking about his first appearance, and that's it. And I think that I can prove my point by only talking about his very first appearance. Okay. Spider-Man's first appearance was in a series called Amazing Fantasy that acted as a workshop for Lee and his new partner, Jack Kirby, as you may have mentioned before, um, to test out new superheroes without giving them a series permanently. Um, In the now famous Amazing Fantasy 15, we are introduced to Peter Parker, a nerdy high school outcast. He is shown as being... Very thin, tall, and a clumsy kid with brown hair and thick black-rimmed glasses.
1: Sounds pretty familiar. Yeah, I don't I was know about why. To say. Does that sound <laughs> familiar to you guys at
0: all? Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the early two thousands, my grandfather would take me on outings he would deem adventures every weekend. Sometimes it would be to the aquarium. Sometimes a trip to the library. Sometimes it would just be a trip to his doctor's office. My grandfather had type two diabetes, and often would have to cut adventure short due to low blood sugar and needing to eat. I never really minded what we did or where we went. All that mattered was spending time with him, doing new things, learning, and growing. He'd always try to teach me through sayings. I have his voice engraved in my head telling me that patience is a virtue. When I would get impatient or when we would leave on our next adventure. Yep. I'm sure you guys all have that person in your life who tries to teach you through these old sayings. hmm
2: yeah, if I had a dime for every time I heard patience is a virtue, right, <laughs> I'd be a millionaire, possibly.
0: Now, it's indicated in the second panel of Amazing Fantasy fifteen that though Peter doesn't receive praise or popularity from his peers, he is loved by his Uncle Ben and Aunt May, his elderly guardians who took him in after the death of his parents. In the panels we see at home, um, it shows him smiling and happy to be with his loving family, while at school he is miserable and sad. After inviting people to come with him to a lecture to a science hall and being denied, Peter attends it by himself where he is bitten by the radioactive spider that gives him superpowers. In that moment, Stan Lee shines as a writer. Gifted with this incredible strength and reflexes, any comic book superhero of the time would immediately turn to fighting crime. But that's not what Peter wants to do. It's important to note that at the time Spider-Man was written, Teenagers filled solely the roles of sidekicks. Never before had they taken the position in the starring role. So this begged the question, what happens when a nerd in high school gets superpowers?
2: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know what happens. I think he'd probably uh, shy away from the whole crime-fighting thing. I mean, if he was me, I just got superpowers. I'm like, cool, I'm going to keep this to myself.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I I think he'd uh, catch his, uh, his crushes uh, lunch uh, tray out of thing As hand. we are seeing. Beat, beat up the bully. There you go. Uh, it sounds about right to me.
0: You're on yeah. the right path. Uh, in Amazing Fantasy Fifteen, he immediately starts taking advantage of them. Like you do. Mm. <laughs> now in the other world, as I grew older and I grew more agitated, as most children do, I wanted to spend more time with people my age, becoming my own person. It was becoming increasingly inconvenient to spend weekends with my grandfather, and with the recent passing of my grandmother, his house felt empty and weird. I was spending most of my free time playing football, and my grandfather would come watch me practice. I was small and uncomfortable in the pads, but it was a family tradition that I played, so that's what I did. After practice one night, my grandfather asked me to stay the night with him, as I had done so many times before. That year, my parents had finally allowed me to get contact lenses. I wanted them so people would stop bullying me for having glasses. I told my grandfather that I couldn't stay because I didn't have contact solution. Really, it just felt weird. Mm. Now, Peter joins a wrestling match to earn money to buy a car that he thinks will impress the ladies at his school. After winning, he is offered a show of his own being The Amazing Spider-Man, where audiences all over adore him. He lets his newfound popularity get to his head when he doesn't stop a thief from escaping, exclaiming that it's not his job and that he's only going to look out for himself now. Hmm. Returning home that night, he is greeted by the news that his uncle has been shot. Grief hits in so many different ways, but I feel like what hits last and echoes for the longest is the feeling of regret. A week after not spending the night with my grandfather, he was hospitalized. He wasn't taking care of his diabetes like my grandmother had always helped him do. And when we got there, he was in a coma, and the doctors weren't sure when he was going to wake up. I remember spending hours in the waiting room with my sister and mother. Hours turned into days, days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. I spent that time thinking about my last interaction with him, the chance I gave up to have one last weekend adventure. Eventually, my mother and her brother made the difficult decision to let him go. I never got to say goodbye. My mother said it probably wasn't a good idea to see him all tied up in a web of tubes like that. When Peter finds out that his uncle's murderer is being held up in a warehouse downtown, he goes to find him and confront him, only to find out it's the same man that he let free only hours before. The realization sets in that if only Peter would have stopped the burglar his beloved uncle might still be alive. The last panel of the comic utters the words that we all know. With great power comes great responsibility. What does this mean to you guys?
2: Um well, if let's say let's say that you do wake up with superpowers one day and you're you're obviously way more powerful than the general populace in a lot of ways. And I think with that power, well, I don't know. Let's go back to the Cold War. You want to do that? That's always fun. Sure. Yeah, um, <laughs> Here we are at the end of the at World War II, right? America has discovered the atomic bomb. That's a huge power. Yeah. This is one bomb that can level an entire city. Right. With this great power comes responsibility. You have to guard your nuclear secrets so that everyone isn't slinging atomic bombs at each other. Correct. So that's what it means to me.
0: What about you, Michael?
1: Yeah, uh, I think that's a it's it's one of those things where like it seems pretty simple from like from a first glance of like it's the whole idea of if you have the power to um, to do uh, if you have great power, do good with it. Like, make sure that you're using it in a way that benefits the world, or make sure that you're not using it carelessly. Right. Um which is, I think to me like that is the big thing. Like do not use what you have available to you carelessly.
2: Cuz you could very well lose it. Mm-hmm. Well, you could That's very right. well
1: lose it and you could very well end up like I don't know, like this is a crude way of saying it but screwing yourself over. Yeah. Um or Absolutely. screwing or, the people around you over.
0: People you love. You could Yeah. You could end up upsetting people who you really care about. Hmm. I think that To fully answer the question of what this one line means, that seems so simple to answer, much like the question you asked me, that seems so simple to answer. To answer this question, we first have to ask ourselves, superpowers aside, an everyday man, what power do we have? We can go over a thousand different ethical beliefs, but at the end of the day, the only power that we really have Is the power over our own actions. And with that power, we have the responsibility to be good people, to help others, and to learn from our mistakes. Michael, you suggested that I do an episode explaining why I love Spider-Man. And at the end of the day, it isn't because he's cool and one of the most popular superheroes out there. Growing up, I liked Spider-Man. I watched the Raimi trilogy when it was coming out and I really enjoyed it. But I I grew out of Spider-Man. I grew out of superheroes. I got into video games and then football, then theater. I went to college and I moved on with my life. At one point, I had depression. I could never get out of this thought in my head that I was a bad person. And I couldn't pin down why I pushed people away. Eventually, I convinced myself I wasn't good enough for college, and I dropped out. I went through a depressive state for a couple years where I didn't talk to anyone, and then out of the blue I made friends again. I met you guys, and we started hanging out, seeing movies. And I'm glad that I did, because in 2018 one night, a group of our friends, including Michael and myself, went to the movies to see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. You remember that night, Michael?
1: Oh my god, yeah, it was fantastic.
0: (laughs) I didn't care that Spider-Man was in it, I just heard that it was a good movie, and I knew that I liked Spider-Man when I was little, so I thought, why not? At some point during the movie, they utter the line, You'll never know you're ready, it's just a leap of fate. In that moment, I knew everything that had thrown me into my depression. This was a line that my grandfather told me time and time again. Never hold back, because everything you do is a leap of fate." And for so long, I had been holding myself back, afraid to jump, afraid to leave my past behind, afraid of leaving my grandfather behind. In this moment, I knew I had to leap. I thought, and and though I, I felt stuck, I knew that someday I would get out of it. I needed to live a life that would make my grandfather proud. And it sounds corny, and it sounds dumb to say that a movie helped me get through the loss of my grandfather seven years after it happened. But the line "Anyone can wear the mask" rings in my head daily. I started getting more into Spider-Man after that night. I started rewatching the Raimi Trilogy. this time seems like the Uncle Ben moment hit differently. Suddenly, the message of the comics became clearer. Much like Peter was selfish in the moment that he could have been compassionate, so had I. He let a criminal go and lost who was special to him. I let my selfishness rob me of time with my best friend. That day, Peter became a hero to honor Uncle Ben and the lessons that he taught him. And that day, I became a better person, to honor the lessons that my grandfather taught me. And both live on in that way. I'd be selfish to say that I'm the only person who sees themselves in Spider-Man. The fact that he's a guy from Brooklyn who can't always pay his rent, and the fact that he canonically only makes sarcastic remarks to keep his mind distracted from falling into panic attacks (laughs) means he's just like us. (laughs) Yup. There have been iterations of Spider-Man for every gender, ethnicity, and age. So much so that they've earned their own Spider-Verse. But no matter if it's Peter Parker, or Miles Morales, Gwen Stacy, or even Spider-Ham, one thing stays the same. Spider-Man is one of us. He makes mistakes, and he learns from them. Because no matter what is thrown at him, No matter how bad the odds are stacked against him, no matter how bad he wants to stay down, Spider-Man always gets back up. And we will always get back up. Hmm. And that's why. That's why I love Spider-Man. He's us.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm very happy to hear all of that. Like, because I like you've kind of explained a little bit of this in the past, but like to hear in depth, like this is exactly what I want well to This is way more than I expected to hear when I asked you what's up with your Spider-Man thing. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I'm, it's one of those things where I'm like, it, it, it's sad that that is the circumstances that, is allowing you to connect with a character but the fact that there is a character for you to connect with on that level and for it to just mean so much to you is just it, it really goes to show what what entertainment can do like and not just like entertainment as a whole but entertainment like good well-written entertainment
0: Right. Um and yeah, it, absolutely.
1: Spider-Man is such a a special case of good entertainment.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And that's that's one of the reasons why he takes slot as most people say the most popular Marvel superhero. And with all the movies that have come out, you would think that it would be Iron Man. You would think that it would be Captain America. You think that'd be any of the mainstream Avengers. But Spider-Man has always held that top slot. Hmm. And For me to say that Spider-Man is my favorite superhero is extremely mainstream. So many nerdy white guys say Spider-Man is their number one. And it's for those obvious reasons. Like, he shows that the underdog can step up and become the hero. And a lot of people, they cling on to that. And that means a lot to them. There's a lot to these stories. And if that's all that people find in them, that's perfect. That's enough. Because they are still getting the point of Spider-Man. Right. They're understanding Mm -hmm. that he is just one of us. Like, he is us. And it was choices that Stanley made, these serendipitous things that eventually built up to this one character. And Spider-Man was an experiment. There were so many rules of comic books that Stanley broke when making Spider-Man. A couple of examples... I mean, the ones I've stated already are the fact that he was the first superhero who was a teenager. He was a kid hmm. when he got his superpowers. Like, of course he made all of these terrible decisions. He He's was a, a kid. Teenager. That's what you He's do when you're a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> like, of course he, like, lets slip his secret identity sometimes. Of course he uses it and takes advantage of the superpowers to become more popular. He's a child. Like...
2: Yeah. Who wouldn't, really? Yeah.
0: Right. He is he doesn't have the life knowledge to take care of his superpowers. Like, he doesn't know what to do with them, and the fact that he takes advantage of them is 100% realistic, which is something that wasn't done in comic books. If you had superpowers, you were a good person, and that's why you had them. Not only that, but at the time Stan Lee was breaking the mold, as I mentioned before, with coming up with these human characters, these real human beings with flaws. Flaws like Peter Parker thought the world was against him and that he didn't care about the world. He just wanted to get what was owed to him in his mind. So when he got superpowers, that's what he did. And that's not a superhero way of thinking, but that led him around to the idea of, if I have these powers and I'm not doing good with them, then what am I doing? I'm doing bad. If I'm not doing good, I'm doing bad. Because I could stop. And that's why why he refers to himself as the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Because he... Isn't only stopping the end of the world bad guys. He's stopping the bike thieves. He's stopping the the purse snatchers. He's stopping the pickpocketers. Because in his head, every time that he doesn't help, it's his fault that it happened. Because he had the power, and thus he had the responsibility to do something about it. Mm. And that comes Im- that comes immediately from. The fact that the one time that he had the power to stop something from happening, and it was his responsibility to stop it from happening, he couldn't and he didn't, and his uncle died.
2: Hmm. And here I was thinking it was just like a corny little thing that he said, like "Verlin did root (laughs) Spider-Man." I didn't know it went that deep.
0: Oh, it goes extremely deep.
2: I didn't know any of this went that deep.
0: And I mean, it's fair to say that this was one of the first characters that Stanley made because thinking back to Stanley's past, being Uh, raised in New York during the Great Depression, a time where so many bad things were happening, he had that same idea. Like, I have the power to bring entertainment to these people. If I don't, then what am I doing, you know? It's my fault that they're still upset. And I think that it was important for me to delve in to Stanley's background because I feel like, and it's been, Stanley has said in interviews that Peter Parker is based off of him. If there was a character based off of Stan Lee, it was Peter Parker. He was the nerdy kid. He was the kid who got bullied at school. He was the one who suddenly was thrusted on this great power that he had over people. And not only that, um, an important reason why I mentioned Steve Ditko was because uh, Steve Ditko did the illustrations for Stan Lee when he was writing his horror stuff, as I mentioned. And the reason that he got Steve Ditko on was because he wanted Spider-Man to look weird. He wanted him to be in all of these weird, non-human poses that he does um, that are pretty famous to the character now, that he's so flexible and does these flips and weird mm-hmm. weird kind of poses. And it was supposed to freak you out because it was weird. He was a weird kid, and that's what you're supposed to take from it. Like, he's not normal. He's not something... And And in the comics, people are afraid of him for a while because they don't know him. And that's kind of the point they were trying to drive home, you know? Yeah. Like, you don't know this guy, and he has his own problems to deal with, and it's constant in all of the movies and all of the films and all of the comics. Mm -hmm. He has his own stuff going on. I think it's really cool.
2: He has his own silly kind of poses going on, too, because the only time you ever see Superman, for example, is when he's up on top of a building doing the the chest out, you know? I mean, there's a pretty
0: famous Superman pose.
2: Yeah, there's. I mean, yeah. literally the Superman pose, that's what he does. Spider Man does all this weird shit because he's weird, right? And that's something that's really admirable because I'm sure we've all been there. We we do make weird poses sometimes when we're trying to be, we're trying to fit in with fellow humans. And I think part of that is social anxiety, but a lot of it is just like, hey,
1: I can relate to Spider
2: Man. You know, I feel yeah. that
0: totally.
1: Well, yeah, and I I think one of the other like really relatable things with Spider Man is that like one of the common things that you see with him throughout just his character as a whole is that he is as Peter Parker, a reserved nerdy, shy, shy individual. Yeah. But right. As soon as he puts on the suit and becomes your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, he is this, he embodies like what that means as a persona. He yeah. is like incredibly personable. He is like, and he like has quips like throughout the entire thing and he's like hilarious and uh that's why him and Deadpool get along so well and why that is like a such a common matching as you've got the silliness of Deadpool with the like uh with the like sarcastic quippiness of Spider Man. Um which is like a lot of people really relate to. It's like the whole idea of like like ah oh, I thought of this thing like five minutes after that conversation. <laughs> Damn that would have been really funny. Yeah, We've all been there yeah, like, Spider-Man is, like, the embodiment of that. It's just, like, while I'm in the suit, I can do those. I can come up with those as it's happening. Yeah, on the floor. Yeah. yeah and it it's... makes
0: perfect sense, because mm-hmm. if you're the kid with anxiety, if you're the kid who, like, is afraid to be out there and be yourself, as soon as you cover up your yourself and you cover up your identity, you become someone different, you're free to be that person who you've always wanted to be. Your fears are gone. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. makes sense. And also, as I said, canonically, um... Spider-Man makes those quips not to bash or to um, distract the villain as it so often accidentally does. He makes those quips talking to himself. He's saying Mm -hmm. those to himself to keep him calm, to keep his mind off the fact that he could die at any moment. That's why he makes the quips, which is incredible that they would even think to give reason to why he's this funny character. It's because... He's afraid. It's his coping mechanism.
2: It's okay. I mean, I'm scared of heights. If I was Spider-Man and I was standing at the top of a skyscraper, I'd be shitting my pants.
0: I mean, how often (laughs) do you face fear with jokes? Like, I do it all the time.
2: Oh, yeah. All the time. Mm -hmm.
0: If I'm afraid of something, I joke about it. That's what I do.
2: 100%.
0: It's a great coping mechanism. It works. It's stuff like that that uh, Stanley opened the door to when he welcomed in these human traits into his characters. These deeper stories. And not only that, but it opened up the comic book market, which was exclusively for children to adults, because now the superheroes are facing these adult problems that adults can relate to, like not being able to pay your rent, struggling with alcohol abuse, things like that. Um, and it really widened the market for comic books and comic book stories to the monster that you see today, that box office hits are coming out that, people our age are standing in line for for three days just to see opening night you know
2: Mm -hmm. speak for yourself on that one but uh (laughs) (laughs) they're good movies i'll say that much
1: no i i was definitely i'm definitely with you in that camp alex (laughs) yeah (laughs) like every every single spider-man movie i am incredibly excited for because like when it's good it's incredible
0: even when When it's bad it's still kind of good when yeah, it's, it's like bad, pizza. it's
1: incredibly bad in the best way.
2: <laughs> There's no such thing as bad pizza, just okay pizza. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and that's very true for Spider-Man too. It is pizza time.
2: Hey, Ooh. it's a meme. <laughs> I like it.
0: Well, thank you, guys. Uh, this is going to be a shorter episode. I don't want to stretch out... This too much. I want to say what I need to say, and I think there's so many other episodes we can go to, into on Spider-Man that I mentioned mm-hmm. before. We can go into um, the future of Spider-Man in the MCU. That could be its own episode. I mean, there's so many other Spider-Man episodes that we could go into, but this one wasn't for that. This one was just for answering that question. I don't want to stretch it out more than it has to be. That feels dishonest. Um, so we are going to do something kind of new. We're going to take a short ad break. Uh, where we're just going to give a little cool off time and we come back from the ad break. Michael, you have a quick this for us.
1: I do. Not a very well-prepared one, but it is one
0: at that. (laughs) That's all right. We'll see you guys when we get back.
1: It's a hard time for all of us right now. If you need someone to talk to or if you're currently experiencing grief, call 1-800-237-TALK. That's 1-800-237-TALK. Or visit www.crisisnetwork.org for more information. Stay safe and stay healthy. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back from uh, that little ad read. Um, So we're going to be starting with this quick this. Uh, I'm going to do mine this week on a little show, a little book, a little comic
0: called uh,
1: JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I'm completely now,
0: unfamiliar. Yeah,
1: JoJo's um, Bizarre Adventure is one of those uh, one of those shows, one of those properties that once you experience it and you actually start investing a little bit of time into it, it grips you like no other, uh, mainly because it is an incredibly silly show that somehow makes you feel very connected to it so I'll, I'll go through like a brief history of it so jojo's bizarre adventure is originally a uh a manga uh that was published in shonen jump it originally was published in uh 1987 uh the writer uh, the mangaka which is like the writer and the drawer um it, his name is hirohiko araki uh the man is a vampire he is like in his sixties, but he still looks like he's in his thirties. Um, interesting. He published a story, uh, recounting the tale of one, uh, Jonathan Joestar, um, shortened to Jojo. Um, so it is, it's a story that happens in like, I think 1800s, uh, England, where it is this gentleman, uh, this gentleman in Jonathan Joestar he gets introduced to this other character named Dio Brando, who Dio Brando comes to live with his family. Uh, Dio is just a horrible, horrible person who <laughs> is, like, essentially he tries to completely ruin Jonathan's life so that he could get his family's fortune um, by posing as the ultimate gentleman. Um <laughs> And one thing leads to another, and eventually uh, Dio becomes a vampire. Uh, <laughs> and uh, one Jonathan... One thing leads to another. And one thing vampirism. leads to another. Dio, Dio becomes a vampire, and Jonathan learns to fight him by using magical sunshine karate. Uh, sure. And he learns this from a uh, checkered, top-hat-wearing Italian man named Zapelli. Uh, oh. uh <laughs> This
0: is a bizarre adventure. I like it.
1: shows it off by uh, a bit of a, a bit of a spoiler because the moment is amazing by punching not punching a frog but punching through a frog to split the rock that it is sitting on
2: damn uh,
1: sign. yeah and so the special thing about Jojo's Bizarre Adventure is it's not only this like story with an interesting premise where this cool stuff is going on, but it doesn't follow what we typically see in normal, like manga or just shows in general where it, instead of following this one person in Jonathan Joestar, it actually is following his family line. Hmm. So what's nice is like each story ends up having its own full conclusion. Um, So it goes from Jonathan Joestar to his grandson, Joseph Joestar, who instead of being this uh, ultimate gentleman, is a genius idiot uh, who... And this is happening in the middle of like World War II. Um, it's World War II America. Uh, he is just a, this lovable idiot who fights uh, these beautiful uh, Aztec demigods uh, who created the thing that made uh Dio a vampire. Uh and he also fights them using magical sunshine karate. Uh and then Where did from... he
0: learn the magical sunshine karate?
1: So he he kind of had a natural affinity to it, but learned it like just through um like so he still was like friends with like his grandpa's friends. Uh so like they like invested into like him. It's it's kind of like they were his role models. And so he learned okay. a little bit of it, bit of it through there. Uh, but then, so his story goes on. He fights the magical Aztec demigods. Um, and then it gets turned, the entire premise kind of gets turned upside down. You're still following that family line. But now go to Japan, um, where we are with Jotaro Kujo, uh, who is Joseph Joestar's grandson. Uh, he, the big difference is, is we have moved on from magical sunshine karate to what's called a stand
0: now a stand you might be asking that sounds less cool than the original thing
1: yeah what the hell well a stand which you might be asking is essentially a physical manifestation of one's spirit uh which manifests itself in pretty much any way possible and through this uh it is right beside you it ex- like p- only people who have stands can see stands uh but stands can affect the world around anyone um but they call it a stand because it manifests itself besides you so it is standing right next to you mm-hmm. okay it's clever it's very very deep um what it, what essentially this does is it turns it from this uh battle of like physicality against physicality in vampires and aztec demigods against magical sunshine karate into these this like almost puzzle each encounter is a puzzle because each stand has new and unique powers So, like Jonathan or uh, sorry, Jotaro Kujo, his stand's power is a pretty generic one. He can move fast and punch things very hard. Uh, But then you get to certain ones where it's like a stand that can control water, a stand that is a boat, uh, a stand that uh, let's see, can puppet other humans, uh, a stand that can turn people into children, Uh, and so it's this idea of like. It's, it's really nice because it's this really cool concept of uh, a different puzzle. Instead of just people punching each other and just seeing who is the strongest, it's, okay, how do they overcome this power? So uh, you have Jotaro Kujo, and then it goes to uh, I think that his... is time, my good sir. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just, I'll just wrap this up real quick. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. Essentially, one of the other really cool things about it is each season of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure is essentially an entirely new genre. Um, We'll give
0: him a a longer quick this since we have a shorter episode. Then it would
2: be a long this. You can't call it a quick this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Go on.
1: But so you have each one is a new genre. So you have uh, the first one, which is more of like a classical like horror, like horror action movie. Um You have the second one, which still is kind of following along in that. The third one is based around uh, around the world in 80 days. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fourth season is based off of a uh, murder mystery. Mm. Uh, The one after that is based off of uh, mob movies. Uh, And then even going even further than that there, which they haven't released the actual show for. uh, The next one is based off of a prison escape. And then mm-hmm. the other one is another one similar to Around the World in 80 Days. And it's just awesome because, like, there is incredible, incredible storylines that are so unique that you won't find anywhere else. Um, oh, and a quick little fact about this. The uh, the art is so prolific and is known so well uh, and is so unique that... Uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is the only anime to have their characters be used as models for a major fashion brand. Wow. So Gucci actually used the characters uh, as models for their own fashion line. Interesting. That's cool. So the art style is incredible. The storylines are incredibly interesting and unique. And I have yet to find someone who says that they who says that they don't enjoy it in some way
0: yeah man anime is weird yeah it's real weird <laughs> Somebody might even like call it bizarre it. <laughs> <laughs> nice very nice
1: but yeah so i would highly encourage anyone out there to check it out and i would highly encourage e- either of you to at least watch two or three episodes or two entertain um i I would recommend (laughs) starting with season one because there is a lot of stuff that can come back that is referenced.
2: Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Where where
1: does it stream? (laughs) Uh, It's on Netflix, Hulu. Uh, They just recently released the third season in English, I believe, on both platforms. So Awesome. Okay. Very
2: cool. It's pretty cool. It's found wherever you can stream your stuff, kind of like this podcast on (gasps) Spotify, Google Play, and Apple and stitcher i guess too <laughs> on apple hey that's
0: all gonna be going on during the ad break too so this is the second time they've heard it they better remember
2: sorry <laughs> you know me i like to uh like to keep the plugs multiple
0: heck yeah mm. all right guys um it is a bit short of an episode this week but i think that's all right yeah hey we, you guys covered, so much for we listening. covered
1: some very unique stuff so i'm, I'm very happy yeah with it.
0: i'm very happy with this episode and how it went and i hope that you all enjoyed it as well
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I tried to
0: Until next time. See you guys. Bye. (laughs) This episode of Entertain This was produced by Alex Steele with commentary from Michael Savoia and Nick Mustakangas. Our theme music is Rush Bubble by Aaron Spencer. Tune in every Friday for new episodes. Thanks for listening.